There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Cosmic Queries Edition. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And my guest co host today is a friend of Star Talk, the one and only Paul Mercurio. Paul. Hey, Neil, how are you? Welcome back to Star Talk. Nice Dude. to be back. Great to see you again. Man, let me just remind people who you are. Like, you started out, was it? An investment banker or something, <laughs> yeah, I know. and that wasn't funny enough for you, so you became a comedian. <laughs> well, what, I started. Like, as, yeah. What the hell happened there? Exactly. And, and how much of a disappointment were you now to your to your family? <laughs> <laughs> then and now, uh, <laughs> I, I can't even say that I was a lawyer. I was doing. Oh, it. lawyer. Sorry, I got I'm, it. I, no, I, no, I Bo, it. you got it right. I was I was doing M and A law, and I was like. Okay. Oh, mergers and acquisitions. See, you're still in it. Right, you see? Know, sorry. Oh, yeah. M&A. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Okay. exactly. Okay. I was Gordon Gecko with big lips. And, uh, <laughs> and then I decided, well, I want to really sort of, you know, be a little bit more scummy, so I'm going to be an investment banker. And then I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a lawyer defending investment bankers wasn't wasn't scummy enough for you. Okay. Exactly, exactly. It's like, why am I defending these guys when I could be one of them and be making four times the money? And uh, so I'm like, oh, let me go jump ship. And I was still doing uh, mergers and acquisitions, but the, on the banking side. And the difference is like the bankers sort of come up through the mo financial modeling to decide mm -hmm. the value of the company and then they get into a price negotiation and they hand it off to the lawyers and then we negotiated and so you were already in how that all that worked anyway that's what it seems like yeah, yeah. um and yeah, I, yeah. so if you got put out of a job because of an M&A deal just tweet me you can uh, <laughs> Here's my address if you want to come and burn my house down. It might have been you. It might have been me. And then I thought, um, how can I disappoint everybody in my life, including my wife? I know. I'll go into comedy and entertainment and start all over again. And then that's what I did. So, no, I enjoyed your story. We, we had lunch recently, and you were telling me that a part of the birth, you know, the origin story of Paul Mercurio yeah. was selling a couple of handwritten jokes to Jay Leno yeah. for the Tonight Show. That that's just I'd love that. I'd yeah. love that. And now you're you you do the warm up for uh, Stephen Colbert. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and I, in the Late Show. In the Late Show, I wrote on the Daily Show, worked on the Colbert Report, and I work on that this show, and then appear on the on the Late Show occasionally too. And uh, okay, so if I'm ever watching Stephen Colbert and his audience looks a little. Dead. It's because you didn't. You failed. Because yeah. <laughs> you, you're supposed to get them all excited, right? No, it's because I wasn't there, and some lamo filled. Oh, in ooh, ooh, good one. <laughs> yeah, good one. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's this weird sort of thing. You can't do jokes in it, 
because it doesn't work in that setting. You, you need like an intimate space and oh, with, with cocktail tables kind of space. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, yeah. you know, and then you know, angry waitresses serving around you, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then uh, plus, but, just to remind people that uh, his show is in the Ed Sullivan Theater, so it's actually a theater, not just a little recording space. Yeah, right? it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, you've yeah. been to the show, and I don't know if you saw downstairs, but below they have these huge timbers and an elephant painted on the wall, and it turns out that the they used to have the uh, Ringling Brothers Circus perform in the theater and they would bring the elephants in on the 53rd Street entrance and they needed to put these timbers up to support the stage because of the elephants. So, But just to be clear, the Ringling Brothers came to perform at Madison Square Garden, not only on the Ed Sullivan show. Right, <laughs> and right. so, so this was like PR for the regular yeah. show, yeah, right? Exactly. You wouldn't go to the Ed Sullivan show to watch right. a three-ring right. circus, right, co- just to be exactly. clear. Well, a couple of the elephants were divas. They wouldn't even go on the Sullivan <laughs> show. They're like, I don't need that. And they're just, <laughs> they're just looking at their hooves like, what? what? Um, do, I, do elephants have hooves? No, I don't think so. I don't think no, so. They have, they're large I, I, ca- I call them big feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's Great. really awkward. I was starting to feel stupid when you corrected me. Then your answer didn't make me feel so stupid now. <laughs> they have those big feet. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, so it's a it's a compact thing, like in 10 or 15 minutes. You got to, it's it's a weird, to go into a TV taping for an audience is strange because a lot of people haven't been before. So you don't really know. And I think sometimes they think you have to kind of actually be quiet and like polite and we... we oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because otherwise you interfere with the filming. Right, right. Yeah, so they think a whole that, eth- and, ethos. And, right, and yeah. the whole vibe is to, that they create this wave of energy and then we kind of surf it. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you've been on it. They they, they yeah. love you. I mean, you've been heckled a couple of times, but we, we cut that out and edit and... Uh, <laughs> I can't believe somebody threw a pie at you from the balcony. I thought that was highly inappropriate. <laughs> It was something like, you haven't returned my email in three years, and then he threw a pie at you. I was like, wow, this guy's got a lot of enemies. Uh, no, no, Well, I like reintroducing you to our audience, yes. so that's great to get I some of that background. It. So did you come loaded with questions from our I audience? Did. And, and we, what's the theme today? Uh, the theme is sort of a grab bag. We uh, Grab bag? Okay, we have those every now and then. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. but there uh-huh. does seem to be a little bit of a through line of sort of, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the galaxy and sort of... Uh, okay, Right. But let's, we'll jump if if in. I know the answer, I'll, I'll, I'll you know. I'll, I read movies ahead of time. I don't think you're going to know any of this, so that's, I will. <laughs> so let's just end it here. Why don't you just have a glass of wine and I'll take over, uh, Mister Big Feet? And um, all right, so we'll get started then. Um, yeah, let's do it. Let's okay, do it. I apologize on this first name; it's a little tricky, but I'll, I'll do my best here. It's uh, Hede uh, Wagamans, and the question is: If the universe, do we know where Hede comes from? Uh, we, I was like knowing their origin. We do not know. I okay. just have mm-hmm. the name. Um, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, by the way, and Patreon, these, I think? yeah, yeah, all these are Patreon, mm-hmm. right? So Patreon, um, they get perks for supporting the show, mm-hmm. and uh, so we love them for that. And here, and here we have it. So yeah, yeah but so what do you have? Um, if the universe expands at light speed, how does it expand at light speed? And uh, by the way, I've listened to all of the episodes of Star Talk Radio. You don't have to kiss ass. You're going to get your answer <laughs> here, okay? You don't need to. Ooh. Uh-oh. Well, at least he said it at the end of the question, right, rather than <laughs> exactly. at the beginning. Right, That's, that shows a little more class. Yeah, exactly. Let me just flip it in. Uh, so, yeah, if the universe expands at light speed, how does it expand at light speed? Yeah, that's a common um, concern people have when they learn of this. And because they know fundamentally that nothing can travel faster than light. 
So how is it that the universe could possibly expand faster than light? In fact, if you go to the early universe, right after the Big Bang, it was expanding way faster than the speed of light. So here's, here's where the rubber hits the road or the spaceship hits the vacuum or however that <laughs> however that'll work. So in 1905, Einstein came out with his, quote, theory of relativity. But that theory of relativity was in a very restrictive case, okay? And so it came to be known as the special theory of relativity. Not because it was special, like you're special. No, no, it's not that. It's because it was a, it was a, a limited invocation of the principles of relativity. So it was a special case, really, is how is what it's, it should have been called, really. And it would take him another 10 years to generalize the principles of relativity to a much larger, more encompassing um, concept. And which, that by then the became... Way, which, by the way, proves 10 years. He was lazy, let's be honest. <laughs> think what that is. I could have done it in two. That's a lazy bum. That... <laughs> I could have done it in two. Anyway, I didn't mean to it. So it became the... So the special theory of relativity broadened to become the general theory of relativity. Okay? So that's... That's what's going on there. And so it turns out in special in the special theory of relativity, it describes what happens when you move through a pre-existing space and time. And if you're trying to move through pre-existing space and time, there are speed limits. The speed of light. It's not just a good idea. <laughs> it's just... What happens? Is it possible to exceed that We have to limit? finish the line. It's not just a good idea. It's the law. Wait, don't <laughs> you remember sorry. this? I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I missed it. I'm sorry. I missed it. I missed Have it. you been living in New York so long that you forgot how to drive and you forgot those rules about the speed limit? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I totally missed it. Yes. It's, it's, it's not just a good idea. It's the law. Okay. It's the law. You missed it. You know, I, I, I'm hanging yeah. these low-hanging low, low fruit for you. I know. I know. I'm just <laughs> Okay. <laughs> So in the universe, so what's interesting is uh, photons, packets of energy, do move at the speed of light. But anything with mass cannot ever achieve the speed of light under the tenets of the special theory of relativity. And what happens is the circumstances become oddly interesting, right? So if you're going to watch me move faster and faster and faster, you will see that my time will begin to slow down. You'll compare my clock to yours. I'm on a spaceship, and you're down here on Earth, and you watch me fly by. My clock will tick slower than your clock. And not only that, you will see the length of my spaceship shorten in the direction I'm moving, and you will see that my mass has increased. And I will have no idea any of that is happening. So even though you see my spaceship getting shrunk front to back, I'm in the spaceship, and I look behind me, I look in front of me, and it's a normal spaceship. So the, the point that Einstein noted, this is part of one tiny piece of his vast brilliance, is that while I'm on the spaceship, if I try to measure the length of the spaceship, my ruler shrinks as well. <laughs> so I'll still measure the same length, even though you're going to say, hey, Neil, you know, you're really shrunken up. I said, no, I haven't. And I take out my shrunken ruler and I say, everything is fine, right? But why does it, it is, it's a, is, it, is it the perception of shrinkage? Okay, so here's what happens. It's a great question. It's a great question. So what 
um, the reason, well, I don't recall the reason like that, like someone made this a reason. It is just the reality of the universe in which we live. And it's that everybody measures the same speed of light, no matter how fast you're going, right? So if you're on the front of a train, let's say a train's going 60 miles an hour, and then you throw a rock 10 miles an hour in front of you, okay? You're standing on the train, and the rock is leaving you 10 miles an hour, okay? Someone on the ground will see the rock go 10 miles an hour plus the speed of the train, okay? So those, those, the train's going 60, they'll see the rock going 60, like going 10, and so the rock 10 in front of the train is actually going 70 miles an hour. It adds for that oh, person. Okay. I was just saying okay. it would catch up, but it does, it's okay. No, no, it doesn't. No, no, once you throw it, it well, it'll yeah. fall, it'll, but if yeah. you just throw it out, out ahead, now watch. If I send a beam of light in front of me, I will measure it to have the speed of light. You, on the ground, try to measure that same beam of light, even though I beamed it in front of a train, and you will also get the exact same value for the speed of light. This is freaky. The speed that you measure for light is independent of how fast you're moving. So Einstein said, how do I make that happen in the calculations? The only way we can all agree that the speed of light is the same, no matter who's measuring it, is if my length shrinks as I go by you, is if my mass increases, and if my time slows down. So that simple observation about the universe, that everybody measures the same speed of light, forces all the rest of that to be true. And that is the special theory of relativity. Okay, so now, 10 years goes by because he's just such a lazy bum, and then he figures out how to think about this with regard to um, accelerations. So... The full answer to this question would take an hour, but I'm going to shorten it and say that the expanding universe is not an object moving within the pre-existing universe, and therefore the speed of light plays no role in constraining it. So it could expand at any rate of speed? Is Arbitrarily fast, because nothing is moving faster than light within the medium. So it is the stretching of the medium itself. And, that's, so, and that was allowed in the general theory of relativity, which still constrains, constrains your speed if you're trying to move within the space itself. And so if something can expand with no parameters, is it, is it possible to measure, to measure that in any way? I mean, What will happen is, as the, as the universe, if, so you'll see a part of the universe expanding, and let's say it hits the speed of light, well, the light it tries to send you will lose all energy before it reaches you. So it basically disappears, and it creates a horizon for you. And that's so, yeah, yeah so, that, so that's what's interesting. So there's more universe out there. It's just beyond a horizon, and that light will never reach you. Oh. Because the universe is expanding faster than the speed of light can come towards you. So, so yeah, it's gone forever. So you'll never even see the thing objects embedded in space moving at the speed of light or greater. So the, the short answer to by the, you know, if the universe expands, how does it expand at light speed? It is very complicated. It's not sort of it's this or it's that. It just depends on the medium and the circumstances. That no, it depends. If it's because the space is expanding, right. not objects moving within the space at the speed of light. Right. So that's, that's, that's the fundamental difference there. Right. Okay, and there's a really brilliant reason 
how and why Einstein came up with this concept of the general theory of relativity, at least the equivalence principle. And I, I, I could get into it if we have time, but I, we're going to have to take a break in like a minute. But I just want to say that the short answer here is general theory of relativity allows space to expand at arbitrary speeds, and it is not constrained by the speed of light, whereas we are because we're embedded in a pre-existing space-time, and we cannot then go faster than Got light. It. That, but that's the difference. Let me be clear. You all are. I am not constrained. I'm a whole other being that is able to morph. I'm, uh, I'm the bad guy in Terminator. I can, uh, you, there you go. There you go. Now, uh, and by the way, by the way, the Terminator Two to get you, you know. Yeah. Okay. I hate it when you correct me and you're wrong. No, I'm just. So I'm not actually correcting you. I'm just enhancing the truth of what <laughs> nice. you're saying. Okay. Wow, you must be How's getting that? an argument with your wife, <laughs> honey. I'm not correcting you. I'm enhancing you. Well, enhance outside because you're not sleeping in this bed tonight. <laughs> so, so science fiction authors know all about this limit of the speed of light, and they don't want to violate that. All right, it's like sacrosanct. So what they do is they come up with other methods that circumvent the speed of light limit, like warp drives. And what do they do? They're distorting the fabric of space and time and traveling and surfing that or traveling through wormholes. And these are all other ways you can get from A to B faster than a beam of light would have. But you're not actually moving through space faster than light to accomplish so it. So, like in, in Star Wars, which was, uh, you know, we're going to jump to, uh, was it light speed? Hyperspace. hyperspace. Dude, hyperspace. <laughs> get, your, get your vocabulary. Hyperspace. Is that, okay. is that plausible in some way? Like they've worked around? Yeah, space? so because the future, so you give them whatever, whatever special engines they need, but they were distinguishing the fact that they can't just accelerate faster than the speed of light. Something has to happen, okay, in, in order to engage that. And the, and the streaking of the, of the starlight, that's kind of what it might look like if you sort of did that. So I, I, that's one of the three accurate things in the entire Star Wars series that is <laughs> one can talk about <laughs> that has any... Correspondence <laughs> to physical reality. Just uh, I would, the other is that Jar Jar Binks is a very good actor. That was another. <laughs> that was, that's on the list too. Uh, let me add that. That's the fourth thing. Right there anyway. you go. We got to take a break, but when we come back, more cosmic queries on Star Talk with my guest co-host Paul Mercurio. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. 
And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back, Star Talk, Cosmic Queries. Grab bag edition. I got my guest co-host, Paul Mercurio. Paul, uh, Mercurio, that feels like the planet Mercury, mm. right? Was Is that, Mer, is there an R in your last name? There actually is. I had to change the spelling for performing purposes. Uh, my my God-given name is M-E-R-C-U-R-I-O, or Mercurio. Oh, God gave you that name. That's God, interesting. You well, are, yeah, <laughs> he and I, are, we're like that. And, uh, You're on a last name basis with God, apparently. <laughs> well, apparently I was born and a guy in a robe walked in and said, okay. your name is Mercurio, and then they don't know if it was God or a homeless guy. But uh, I'm going with God just so I feel important. And, yeah, that uh, works every time, yeah. All right, but, so, so, so you're born Mercurio, Mercurio. and you... And and you took it out. Why? And while I was uh, in a had a part in a show in Los Angeles, and my manager called and goes, "There's a problem." And I go, "What am I getting fired from this acting job?" <laughs> he goes, "No, but you will be." The uh, problem, real problem, is that there's an actor in the union with the name Paul Mercurio, and I just was like, I went nuts. I'm like, what are the statistical chances of somebody having that <laughs> same name? And it was this Australian actor, you may not remember him, but he was in this really good independent movie called Strictly Ballroom. He was a... Uh, I did see, I was I was a ballroom dancer at the time. I saw that. Very oh, interesting. Oh, okay. And he was yeah, a great yeah. dancer. And apparently the story there is he was a choreographer on the film and the actor they hired really couldn't pull the dance moves off. So they put him in front of the camera and he acted fine. And he had a career for a while and he did Exit to Eden with uh, Rosie O'Donnell and some other... So he got in the union before I did. So for a while, I was Paul Michael Mercurio. My my confirmation name was my middle name, mm-hmm. Michael. You so you so you so pious. And then God I, gave you the last name, I the am. confirmation. God give you another name. Hang on, so I, hang on. I got to heal a leper. Hold on one second. Um, <laughs> Stop. 
and we get some water. <laughs> you got lepers in your apartment. Good. I'm not never visiting you. Okay. It's my door, man. It's the best we can get with COVID. Everybody else is on unemployment. And uh, and so I uh, I tried three names for a while, and the end of the story is that God forbid somebody could introduce you and get Paul Michael. Michael Mercurio. They couldn't say three names and get yeah, it right. Yeah, and so yeah. I dropped the first R in my name. Okay, and, Mercurio. And, and it worked. I, I got you. Right. We're still but good. I got Mercutio. I got references to Shakespeare. And mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. guess my name is sort of my, I have a tendency, I'm an Aries. So I don't know if you believe in astrology, but. What do you uh, think? Yeah, yeah, okay. A little bit. And uh, <laughs> yeah. that I'm sort of a mercurial kind of human being. And my wife right. is easy. Anyway, sorry, that was too long an answer. I apologize. You can edit all that out. All Um, right, so so what do you have for the next question? uh, We're out of time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, Paul took too long explaining (laughs) the absence of an R in his name. Exactly. In his head, Neil's going, why did I ask this man this question? All All right, David Goldberg, two parts. Hi, Dr. Tyson. How do astronomers know how old stars are? That's the first question. You know, that's okay. Well, there's another part to that. Yeah, I recently read that they observed a moon forming around the planet near a star that is only 6 million years old, and I was wondering how they can tell. Yeah, okay. So that's a that question is way deeper than most people know and imagine. So we look out in the universe, and how long are we alive? At most 100 years, and stars live billions of years. The universe has been around for 14 billion years. We're not sitting around and saying, oh, there's one getting born, and there's adolescence, and then old age, and dying. We don't have that luxury. All we can do is take snapshots, okay? We take a snapshot over here, a snapshot over there, and we line it all up, and we scratch our heads, okay? So now, by analogy, let's do the same for human beings, Okay, so let's say we are some insect that lives for one day. And we want to know, how do we decide how old humans are that we encounter? But we only live for one day. Okay, so I, I amass all of my fellow insects together. And say, so let's take photos of humans throughout the day, bring them all back, and sit down and scratch our heads if the insect has a head. So what will they see? They will see this a building with tiny humans in it, okay? Very tiny. How big and is this insect? This is freaking me out. <laughs> it's a, okay, I'm is sorry. It, like it wouldn't have to be an insect. <laughs> it wouldn't have to be an insect. Just another creature who's curious okay. about humans as life forms the way we are curious about stars, right. okay? Mm-hmm. So that, so they'll see, they'll see women sort of facing this building with distended bellies, okay? They'll see, in the building, they'll see little humans, and then they'll, and they'll also see women exiting the building holding these little humans. Okay, so that's kind of interesting. All right, hold on to that for a minute. They will see wooden boxes going into the ground, okay? Oh, oh, what's that? Okay. Oh, by the way, in the same building that has the women with distended bellies, they will see other humans laying down that are very wrinkled, maybe, 
or um, okay. Do they, see, With, do they see my super not fixing the leak under my sink? <laughs> yes, they will, they will catch that and as well. And they kill him for that. That's all I really care about. At this okay, so you can ask, um, do, does this life form, are they born in the earth in boxes? Because you don't get to see the box move. These are snapshots, right? right. Uh, and do we, do, do, are like seeds, like plants, and we take them out of the ground... And they start out wrinkly, and then they get healthier and healthier, and then they begin to shrink and then disappear. Hmm. Okay? Because you don't even know the time vector when you're just looking out in, in the universe. So you start assembling this, and once you bring enough of this data together, you can start constructing a timeline of a human being. And you might say, okay, um, here's another subtle point. You ready? Some people have this stick in their mouth and there's froth in their mouth. Okay? Not many. It's maybe one in a thousand. Okay? Mm -hmm. How, what fraction of a day are you brushing your teeth? Right? It's like a couple of minutes out of 24 hours. So most people will not be doing this. Some will be. So is it... Only this kind of person is only ever brushing their teeth and no one else does? Or does everyone brush their teeth? It's like watching people running for exercise. These people are sort of, they're, they're moving faster than most people are moving in terms of walking. What does this mean? Where What does it mean? Running? Exactly. Or, or, or what you won't see them moving. You'll just catch them it's with sorry, longer right, strides, in, right. a, in a long stride, with wearing fewer clothes like or something, it, it, right? You know, wet from sweat, whatever that, yeah, right. Right, right, right. So all of this has to go into a box right. that you sit there and scratch your head, and it's like a, a, a puzzle, really. And you say, well, this maybe this comes before that. Oh, we, we got this now, the distended bellies and this this place and the women, and and do I even know that they're women? Well, statistically, they have longer hair. Mm. And so, because does, does everyone get a distended belly? I, so you have to think all of this through. Right. For me, the one of the more intriguing ones is trying to figure out whether one kind of person is the only one who's ever what you find in the bathroom, or does everyone go to the bathroom, you just didn't catch it because it doesn't take very long. <laughs> okay. Okay, because you'll, you'll just miss it. But right. you will be able to... Uh, of all this data that you're collecting, a very quick determination can be that there's only two types of these beings. A, a naked man looks one way, a naked woman looks another way. So well, to you, but if you're a praying mantis, do you even see the difference? I mean, when you see a praying mantis, when you see, no, uh, when you see a pigeon, are you saying, oh yeah, that's a female pigeon, that's a male pigeon. Well, you look really different. No, they can tell each other apart, well, I, but can you? When I look at pigeons, I try to look at them as more substantive beings. I'm not shallow like you. Like, hey, that, you try, pigeon, that pigeon's got whole, a nice body. Entire <laughs> beings, right. So what may be obvious to us would be completely mysterious to another creature. You don't run around and judge the gender of goldfish, right? You have no clue because we don't have eyes for that. We don't think about it. No, no, but I'm not it. saying that they, that they would say, say gender, but they'll start to see a pattern that there's two, these these beings look one of two ways in terms of bit, not size, not wrinkles. Okay, but they do, but not all of them, okay? So, you know, uh, elementary school children, okay, um, unless they're completely stripped down, they're, they're just they're, they're smaller humans, right? And 
So, so the difference is grow through middle school and high school, of course, mm-hmm. but then you still have to figure that out. That's my only point. So fortunately, just for this visiting praying mantis or whatever creature it was, there are billions of people. Fortunately for astrophysicists, there are billions of stars. Because if you only do something one in a million times, and I have a billion of you out there, I will catch somebody in the act doing it every time. Right. All right? You, you need the large numbers to see the things that are rare. Okay? And then to start put a, put finding a pattern through that. Right, right. And, and to create the, the temporal nuances of what's happening simply from snapshots. So we look out in the universe and we say, hmm, there's a gas cloud over here. All right? And I see some stars deep within it. By the way, what are stars made of? They're made of gas. Hmm. Maybe that's a stellar nursery. Because over here I see stars and there's no gas. So where did they come from? Wait, could it be that these stars dissolve themselves into a cloud? That could that that could be. It's maybe it's analogous to did, are, are they born in these boxes and then in the boxes and in, come back out? In reverse it's, or are they born and then yeah. Okay. Correct. So here's what you find. You ready? You keep doing this, and then you find out, wait a minute, this star just blew up. Oh my gosh, what kind of star is that? Oh, and you look very carefully, and we have other ways to determine this. It's a very high mass star. Mm-hmm. Only high mass stars blow up. And then you can oh. look at the fragments. Okay, but but wait a minute. So so it so because you could ask, do stars are they born with very high mass and then use up their mass over their lifetime and then just disappear? Right? That's another one, right? That's the I start out big and I eat up my own flesh and right. I disappear. But no, it turns out stars are born at a given mass. They use some of it during their life, but it's only a very small fraction of it, it turns out. And the high mass ones blow up with hardly any difference in their mass from when they were born. And the low-mass ones never blow up, and they have a different color. And and some stars never wander far from their birth, from their nursery. And you piece all, oh, oh then you find out, ooh, ooh, then you find out there's a whole bunch of stars here that that the, the, the gas is almost entirely dissipated. Now you can't make more stars, so they must all be the same age. Oh my gosh, and now I have a cluster of stars with the same birth date. Well, how about this other cluster over here? Well, the parameters are a little different. I see less gas among them, but these other things have changed. So maybe after a million years, after a billion years, these things are taking place. So this took decades with the most powerful telescopes in the world, and one of the leading telescopes was Mount Palomar in California. The Hale 200-inch telescope really put teeth in the stellar evolution um, uh, understanding of, of this universe. So it, is, it was a very hard task. It took many brilliant people over many decades, not only the theorists to try to figure out what's happening inside the star that would cause it, but the observers who were saying, I see stars here, but not there. Mm. Okay? How come I don't see humans in the middle of the desert? Okay? Maybe, the, and how come I see more humans where there's water? Oh, maybe you need water for, okay? Just keep doing it. Right. You keep doing it's, it. It's, it's sort of this never-ending. It's, it's, ne- it's, it's, never it's a never-ending thing. And the yeah. thing about the universe is, the bigger is your sample of stars, the greater is the chance you will see something 
that is so rare, it only happens once in a billion or trillion times. Mm. Right? And so every now and then you'll see a headline saying, astrophysicists discover a new black hole that doesn't fit anybody's model or understanding. Well, because it's the millionth black hole we found. <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, if I if I search enough people, I'll find somebody who has every disease you ever see mm. advertised on television. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I'm serious. No, no. Right? No. Everybody's got to do something. Well, this is in one in a hundred thousand and right. one in a million, or right. what is it? Tay Sachs? Is it sickle cell? Is it. Um, it's, a, it's my Aunt Christine. She's got every pain <laughs> under the sun my back, my head. Oh, I get well, it. she's a, then she'd be a gold mine for the investigating aliens. Good. Because okay? she's got all the data. That's a perfect place to send her, actually. Let's put her on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap up on this. We gotta take a break. Uh, oh, we gotta take a break. Okay, yeah. damn, I'm taking so long to answer. I'll, no, I'll look up, maybe we'll have a lightning round for yeah. the for okay. the third and, uh, for the third period. Absolutely, uh, and we're gonna be back right after this quick break. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hey, it's time to acknowledge our Patreon supporters, Eric Ennis, Bill Savage, and Matt Schaefer. Guys, thank you so much for your support. Without you, we couldn't do this show. And anybody else listening who would like your very own Patreon shout-out, please go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us. We're back. Star Talk. I got my guest co-host, Paul Mercurio. Paul, how did people find you on the internet? Uh, at Paul Mercurio. At no, I, that was a low-hanging fruit. You could say, they find me repulsive. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, I'm handing you, Paul, I'm, I don't want I don't want to be the teller of your the jokes no. that are just dangling. I, I, don't, I forgot that you're so evil. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, can fi- they, they find I have bad breath. I have. That's how they find me. <laughs> yeah, they find. No, so. <laughs> uh, they find me repulsive. That's actually a perfect way of describing me. Uh, so so me- Paul, Paul Mercurio on on Twitter. Is oh, that- you don't care, don't you? You just want. I to do. do. I want my people. My people wanted to I'm know saying, how to find at, yes, people. Yes, at Paul Mercurio, M E C U R I O, one R, because we talked about this earlier. I had to drop the first R. And paulmercurio.com, and I'm on That's Instagram. one word, Paul Mercurio? Mm-hmm. Paul Mercurio, all one And word. Instagram or, or TikTok? All, or? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm thinking about starting TikTok, but I don't know if it's... Uh, TikTok is like a commitment. You got to like be ready to get yeah, in on that. Yeah, and I'm not yeah. going to get a dance, and I don't know. That's Nobody wants to see that. Yeah, I so saw you dance. You're correct. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were a ballroom dancer. Is there anything For, you haven't done? Like, this is amazing. Like A few things, yeah. But no, I, I was a... Uh, on a competitive international Latin ballroom dance team. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's, it's a team. So there were eight of us, eight couples, and it was the full choreography. It was, it was a, yeah. a good friend of ours does it, and she loves it, and she's in great shape from it, too. It's amazing. Yeah. And that movie came out right at that time. And uh, so it was, we, it was a, 
you know, field trip for, for the for the dance group. Um, so what do you have? You we're going to jump back in? Here. Yeah, we have yeah, a yeah, question from uh, Toby. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. I, I, did I finish the second half of that question? Because well, we found a moon orbiting a planet, orbiting a star. So what we find is the stars that are being born in these gas clouds, we also see disks of material. And then we say to ourselves, could these disks of material be the proto-material that will then make planets in orbit around this star. And so sure enough, this is what we observe. So, yeah. And so you can observe planets forming around stars, and then the planets themselves, some of them, have disks. And out of that disk, they would have their own moon. So it's pretty cool. Can I ask a quick follow-up on something you said in the last segment? No, unless you're a Patreon member, you can't. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Toby Sonnenberg. Hi Neil, could you please explain what the crisis in cosmology is? What are the what are the, some possible ways the crisis can be resolved? What do you think is the most likely resolution? Oh, this person doing some homework there. Okay, well, so uh, old timers, it's hard to call it a crisis. It is a crisis, but for old timers, it's really hard. All right, I'm an old timer. I I come from an era, an epoch. Okay, where we didn't know the age or the size of the universe, because they're related, to within a factor of two. Okay? A factor of two. Is the universe 10 billion years old or is it 20 billion years old? And if you put all the data together, people sort of picked and chose and sifted, and there was the 10 billion year camp and the 20 billion year camp, and they were warring factions for many years. But there's two All methodologies right. to... Uh, that's right. So the methods are different. The, the chosen micro objects cosmic are different. So, so this is how you get this divide, and it's on the frontier. And eventually, with better telescopes, better data, which is how this is always solved. All right? That's the good thing about being a scientist. You can get into a fight, and in the end, you both agree. It's an, un, uh, it's a, it's an unwritten contract that you and I have that either you're right and I'm wrong... I'm right and you're wrong, or we're both wrong. And they'll reach a point where we say, we need better data. Let's go have a beer. Okay? <laughs> so that's how that works. Right. There's, no, there's no duel. There's no who right. shouts the loudest. That's, right. not how we, that's not how we roll. So, but, there's a, but there's an analysis that looks at sort of historic data, and then there's one that takes a, looks at sort of current state of things and those are the or there's another one that says here's instructions for the next wave of observations i need you to look at it this way because that'll help me resolve this uncertainty so with this factor of two warring factions with new data especially with the hubble telescope and the uh, uh observations of the cosmic microwave background with two satellites three satellites that were engaged in this one successively more precise than the next you, we, so it turned out the uncertainty was no longer a factor of two. It narrowed. And of course, the, the, the actual answer ended up somewhere in between, all right? So we're now at about 14 billion years. No one is saying 10 or 20 anymore, all right? So you'd expect that. If the two warring factions, the right answer is probably somewhere in between, right. as it turned out to be. All right, so, we, so we're all happy, 14 billion year old universe. And then people start looking more Carefully at it. They use this method and that method, and our observations are so precise. People are saying, and I forgot the, two, the exact two numbers. Is it 
14.0 and 14.6. There are two different ages. Well, it says the crux of the disagreement is at 67.4 plus or minus oh, that, 0.5. That, that's the value of the Hubble constant, which then gives you the age of the universe. Okay. So, oh, no, so give me those two numbers. That's fine. 67, 67. and the other number. 67.4 uh, plus or minus 0.5 and 73.2 plus or minus 1.3. So these two numbers kilometers are... Kilometers per second per megaparsec. Megaparsec, right. So those two numbers... Or, or, or the fabled Hubble constant, and you use the Hubble constant to get the age of the universe. I was content giving this answer in the context of the age of the universe, but now you threw in the Hubble constant in units of kilometers per second per megaparsec. Because clearly you don't want to do your job thoroughly, and I'm, <laughs> I don't and I'm covering care. your behind. Like, I got to carry <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Mr. So, I, know, I know the universe. Go ahead. So the the Hubble constant version of the age of the universe is, is the Hubble constant um, 50 or is it 100? Okay? That gets you these two different ages of the universe, all right? Uh, if the Hubble constant is 50, then the age of the universe is 20 billion years. If the Hubble constant is 100, then the age of the universe is 10 billion years. So, but point is, if you want to speak in Hubble, if you want to be Hubble constant fluent, that's fine. Those two numbers, which used to have a huge uncertainty, no, no longer has a huge uncertainty, but now they each have their own camps because the uncertainty in each number excludes the other number, okay? So we measure those two numbers so precisely that the 73 doesn't allow the 67 in its error bars in the range of uncertainty. You know the uncertainty when you read uh, election polls. Yeah, um, they're leading by 60%, plus or minus 3%, okay? That's an uncertainty where the data can't distinguish. So if you put the uncertainties around those two numbers, the uncertainties don't overlap. Got it. So that's a crisis in cosmology. So, and, and, and I'm just saying, to call that a crisis, what a luxury of precision measurement. Right. You would prefer the crisis because you, you as, a, as a scientist, like the challenge of trying to figure things out and come to resolution, and this is a challenge still for you. And When you have a crisis, uh, it energizes people. That's right. correct. And we call it a crisis because the two— had those two numbers had uncertainties that overlapped, then it's just a matter of time. You get some better data. It might be that these two methods, because it uses different methods— can you to just arrive that at for a second? I mean, maybe everybody listening knows, but like, in which method do you subscribe to? Because I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't, I have no such investment in my emotional energy. I step back and I embrace it all. <laughs> wow, this got, this got really esoteric. And can I have some of what you're smoking in the break? Because that was a pretty awesome answer, man. No, it'd be something like you want to measure the the length of a, I don't know. Uh, the length of some object. And one person pulls out their pocket ruler and they do it. Another person pulls out a laser and another person pulls out like an inchworm, okay? And then they get three different results. Right. But every time they repeat it, they get approximately the same results and the results don't agree with each other. Right. So you have to say to yourself, one of these results is wrong or maybe the inchworm is relativistically effective. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you have to, you know, I mean, it's, it could force another understanding Damn. of the world. Third measurement. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, they both, I mean, they both seem valid. I mean, one is or, the universe began and then using 
theories to predict today's experience. Exactly, exactly. They're completely valid, and that's why we're, we're scratching our heads. Or they, they are irreconcilable, and there's new physics that we need to put on the table that tells us why. That's, we all love new physics, because it opened, it's like you, you broke through a door, and on the other side of that door is this beam of knowledge and wisdom that could shed light on other stuff that had you that still keeps has you scratching your head. Right. And and uh, let me give an obscure example of this. We have what are called GPS satellites. You've mm -hmm. heard of them, mm -hmm. uh, and they orbit. They're in a place in Earth's gravity field where their clocks tick faster than our clocks. Okay, all according to relativity. If Einstein's relativity had not yet been discovered and we launched these satellites for the sole purpose of establishing a coordinate grid on Earth where timing is essential, we would see that it would constantly be sending us time that's too fast. And, we, and we'd say, engineers, what did you design? You must have made a mistake. Go back to the circuit board. Go fix it. We check your drawings. We would first assume that there was some mechanical problem with it. And the engineers say, nope. We, here's the here's the twin of it on Earth, and it's has, and, and no. So, so well, what's going on? We can't we can't figure it out, and so that would be a dilemma. And then Einstein would come along and say, "We have the general theory of relativity that's explained trivially." Bada bing, a whole new field of physics opens up. So most crises in science lead. I hate the word crises because that yeah, it's, it, it it implies pretends, human yeah, exactly. um, dilemma. How about dilemma? How right. about that? Okay. Most dilemmas, challenge. authentic <laughs> challenge is in science lead to uh, to new physics. Your break, breakthroughs. Right. That's there. You go. Yeah. So that's the whole story there. Yeah. Well, I knew that. Yeah. I just didn't want to say anything. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to go. Let's do lightning round. Yeah. Do yeah. lightning round. Okay. Okay. I'm taking too long to answer these. No, you're not. It's always interesting. Mm -hmm. I fall asleep in the middle, but then I wake up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Peter, Peter Jacobs. Um, well, while, I'm, while I'm facing the chalkboard, that's when you catch up on <laughs> exactly. your notes, on your reading, and on your <laughs> spit falls at you, back of your neck. Um, Peter Jacobs, uh, we're gonna do. He's got two questions. Let's do the first one. If two black holes collide, uh, can we tell their relative uh, relations with uh, LIGO, and how do they affect the final rotation of the resultant black hole? Excellent. So this is lightning round. So LIGO, the Laser Interferometry Gravitational Wave Observatory, is exquisitely tuned to look at the ripples through the fabric of space and time, predicted by Einstein in his general theory of relativity, that when you have a disturbance, a gravitational disturbance in the space-time continuum, it sends a ripple moving at the speed of light. And two colliding black, black holes will do that. Before they built LIGO, they set up models of what all manner of black hole collisions would look like. Equal mass, very different mass, uh, slightly different well, mass. What was the basis How, for the models? Is this, is, and I'm not, oh, no, you, I'm you, not making a joke. Is this analogous to sort of this pre-mantis taking a snapshot of of us on Earth and putting together? Yeah, because we're not going to have a million examples here. So you want to set up a catalog that because you know general relativity, it works, we know black holes, we think we know what will happen when they collide, and so we say, okay, here is the gravitational wave signature that we just measured. Let's hold that up to our catalog, and which one does it come closest to? There it is, a 30 solar mass black hole and a, four, and a 15 solar mass black hole. There you have it. Now, depending on how far away they were when they started their spiral, they have what's called angular momentum, and this is the momentum of rotation. 
And that, uh, some of that angular momentum is carried away. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know if it's most, but much of it remains within the system and you have a rotating black hole. So black holes rotate too, just like everybody else. Uh, why bother sending a probe to another star when it will most likely find one we sent later? Um, isn't that statistically unlikely, though? I think he meant the opposite of that. I think he might, what he might be saying is, if you send a probe to another... I don't want to invent a question that he's not thinking, but mm. here's a version of that that I, he might mean. You send a probe to another star, it'll take 50 years, or even, mm -hmm. even a, you know, okay. But in those 50 years, we invent a way to tunnel or wormhole to the star. And so you, so you get there faster than that would have ever arrived because when we sent it, we didn't have that technology yet. But it's developed. And so there it is just passing it by saying, hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't <miss> <laughs> Right, 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 right. So people have argued, why don't we wait until the technology is better uh, and then do it right? To send a rather probe to, 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 yeah, right, but but correct. it's not like we're doing it wrong. Is the, is that I mean that sort of presupposes that we're getting information that's inaccurate or any? No, 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 no. It's just uh, it's just why bother, right? If if you're gonna say if you're in California and you say we discovered gold, put the notice on the back of a tortoise, okay, and send it back east. You can say no. Let's wait until the railroad is built, or well, let's wait until. Right. <laughs> let's, okay. Let's, uh, let's make it a little. It will pass the turtle on <laughs> right. in St. Louis. Right. You know, we'll get the. It'll be better. Right. So that, um, okay, so I, I think that might be what he means. But okay, okay yeah, right. keep going. Has anyone tried to calculate the cost in neutral resources of planet Earth if SpaceX would follow through with the plans to colonize Mars? So that, that implies that the colonization of Mars requires taking natural resources from Earth to put it there. But if you're going to colonize, the way to do it is, do you do everything in situ, okay? You want it, this is the buzzword, in situ resource utilization, I-S-R-U. Google it, okay? And NASA has full running pages. And when you get to a destination, dig in the soils, get the carbon dioxide, split it, get the water, split the water molecule. You get oxygen, you can breathe it. The hydrogen, you get a rocket fuel. All of this is Martian, what you would do. Martian, the movie, do. two hours. Martian, Thank you. hello. Hello. Do we, do we need anything else to be Matt Damon, the most brilliant, <laughs> second most brilliant next to Neil deGrasse Tyson, man in the world. Anyway, go ahead. So ideally, that's what you would do. Otherwise, no. I don't. Whatever they had to take to have lunch for a year, that's not going to throw Earth off its axis. So a lot don't of worry about that. Sandwiches, that kind of thing. Um, real quick, we have to wrap up. I mean, what are some of the advantages of colonizing uh, Mars? Well, if an asteroid takes out Earth, then the humans don't go completely extinct. Okay. But it's a very negative attitude. How about it is negative attitude? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm a contrarian there. I don't see. I, I don't even agree that that's why you should do it. So we have more eggs in more than one basket. If you have the technology to go to Mars, terraform it colonize it with a billion people, it seems to me you have the technology to deflect that asteroid that's headed yes, for Earth, yes, okay? Yes. Oh, we're destroying Earth with global warming and the billionaires are all escaping and they're going to form another planet and then they're going to terraform that planet because Elon is into terraforming. Mm. It seems to me if we have the power to terraform Mars into to Earth, yeah. then we have the power to turn Earth back into Earth. Okay, so awesome. yeah, don't worry, we're cool here. All right. Okay. One last question. Well, let's uh, slip it in. Want to slip one more in? Okay. This is um, 
Alexander uh, Wisnent, if gravity is due to mass and acceleration, could we get an object with enough gravity to pull something at the speed of light? If you fall into a black hole, basically you come near the speed of light as you come near. And uh, what happens is as you come near the speed of light, uh, things, we, it's, it's harder to distinguish you as a blob of mass from you of what would then become a blob of energy. So the mass energy equation very much favors the, the conversion of matter into energy. And so, um, so yes, is the answer. And that happens in black holes all the time. And if you want to, if you don't believe me, try it. <laughs> Call me up and tell me how it goes. <laughs> hey, Neil, I'm falling through a black hole. Oh, can you Just like me? you said, just like you said. I think that you're breaking up a little. Oh, my God, I'm breaking up. This was Wait, can not- you hear me now? Wait, let me go to another <laughs> This was not a good idea. And then Neil makes some notes and moves on with no emotionality about it. Uh, we are done. We've got more Dude, thanks. Thanks for coming in yeah, for this. This is so fun. And I, it's yeah. good to see you again. I hadn't seen you in a couple of years. Nice yeah. to know you're still out there and and, and holding down the Colbert for it. Absolutely. Are you going to be back on soon? We got to get, get love to see On Colbert? I got I, I to gotta write another book to get back on. I got to earn it, you know? Okay. That's what that let me, is. Let me put a word in for you. <laughs> you know this up-and-coming scientist. You might have heard him. Uh, he's got a thing or two. Uh, thanks. For, this is always great. It's always. By the way, you know what I said? I was on his show March 2020, mm-hmm. like March 9th. All right, it was like the last week. That You're the reason show. COVID shut so, so, down. So, so. <laughs> and he says, "What do you think of this COVID thing?" And I, all I said was, "It is an experiment in whether." Humans will heed the advice of science and medical professionals. Right. And we That's did. what I said. <laughs> okay, that's all I said. And we're continuing. This is an experiment. That's, that's a show, a day, a show for another day. But yeah, that's a really great answer, and you hit it on the head. Um, what it is. This is, uh, this is I do. We out. We out. Thanks, Paul. This has been Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. And I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, as always, bidding you to keep looking up. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.